like the dream for me has always been to make music I love and believe in with people I love and believe in. Of course you hope people like it, but you're not writing from a place of, I'm going to write a song that people are going to love. Like that to me is a, a dangerous mindset. Welcome to Behind the Band, a podcast where we are all about helping you grow your music career. My name is David Ryan Olson. I run Evergreen Records. We are a production company that is focused on more than just the studio stuff. We want to help artists grow. So hence why we do things like this podcast where you can just get a little bit of a behind the scenes glimpse for what goes on for bands and in the music industry. So today we have future teens on the show, and I'm real excited to jump into that conversation. They are a very, very unique band. They have, well, I'll, I'll let them explain what their, what their, the premise of their band is, but they call themselves Bummer Pop, really unique stuff. But one of the things I really admire about them, aside from, you know, writing really cool songs, is that they are they really know why they're doing music. They aren't, you know, chasing some some loose definition of, of success or fame. They've figured out why they want to do music and what they love about music, and they're chasing that rather than, you know, someone else's definition of success. So real excited to jump into that conversation today. Real quick before we do, if you have new music coming down the pipeline, we want to help you promote that as best as possible. So we have a free half hour workshop called Rock the Release, where we just walk you through what are the steps you got to do in order to plan and promote your next song so that it has the best results possible. You want to get on blogs and playlists, lots of streams racked up, I'm sure. So we're going to teach you the proven method that independent artists use in order to make all of those things happen. So to sign up for that, just go to evergreenrecords.com slash workshop. But now, without further ado, let's go ahead and jump into the conversation with Amy and Daniel of Future Teens. All right, Daniel and Amy from Future Teens. How are you guys doing? Very well. Good. Awesome. Well, super glad that you're here today. Would love to just kind of get to know you and your story a little bit more. So why don't you go ahead and just kind of give us an idea of who you are? Well, Daniel started this band with some pals kind of as a, as a goof, um, it was just going to be a recording project with the premise was like, what if we had a band in like middle school? <laughs> um, I, I, I think I remembered this semi recently, didn't I? I, and I, I yeah. feel like I was with you all when I remembered that the, yeah, the premise was that we had a band in high school that broke up and we decided to reunite yeah, it yeah, yeah. years <laughs> later. And that all the songs were going to be like, the content was going to be high school related. It was very high concept. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah the uh, the first EP was exclusively on floppy disk. Yes. Uh, Wait, really? Yeah. yeah I mean, yes. <laughs> I, I actually, tech, I did get music onto a floppy disk. Um, it's a, extremely low quality. Like, you can't, you can barely recognize it as music because it's 1.3 megabytes for the whole floppy disk. Yeah, you should have just put MIDI files on there and have people uh, drop it into their own sequencers. That would have wow. been fun. <laughs> but that's that's a great concept. Uh, but you said it was it started as just kind of a, a tongue in cheek joke. Yeah, Com- almost. I mean, we've definitely tried to keep that going that we don't take ourselves too seriously but it's definitely more quote-unquote serious than it started out um in the sense that it couldn't have been more it couldn't have been less serious starting out uh 
a lot of double negatives there. I had to think about that. But yeah, it, it started as a recording project and then I really wanted to play shows. Gabe, who's Gabe Goodman, uh, everyone should check out his music. Um, also his very informative video about uh, pre-saving your favorite artist's Spotify songs. Maybe you saw that. He didn't want to play shows <laughs> with future <laughs> teens, which is fine. Cause then he, he, you know, he moved to New York and, and then uh, Amy joined and we kind of was like, Oh, we could, we both were, had the same passion for playing live and wanted to do that more and found two other people who also love playing music live, Maya and Colby and kind of just kept setting benchmarks for ourselves. And here we are on top of the world. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's awesome that you're doing music you want to make just because it's music you want to make. I think a lot of young artists tend to kind of get wrapped up in the idea of, um, well, is this, you know, what people are going to like or is this commercial and, and, and everything when you're all just like, no, let's just write songs that as if we were, you know, going into high school and just kind of have fun playing music. I think that's great. Listen, it took me a very long time to get to the point where I can just write songs that I like. And I uh, obviously every, well, uh, many musicians, it's hard not to think about, will other people like this, right? Anytime you're making any art, like you can't completely remove that from your mind. But I feel like we've gotten to a good, a good place where we're not, we're not writing out of a place of like, of course you hope people like it, but you're not writing from a place of, I'm going to write a song that people are going to love. Like that to me is a, a dangerous mindset, at least for my songwriting. Like the dream for me has always been to make music I love and believe in with people I love and believe in and getting to do that has been really special, but more, not more special, but um, similarly special is that I grew up taking myself so seriously um, and to be in this band and like unlearning that with my best friends um, to make music that like the four of us have so much fun playing. And that is the point um, is really cool. Well, could you share a little bit more about what that experience was like for you to be able to unlearn taking yourself so seriously with music? Yeah. Um, Future teens had a lot to do with it. Um, I came to future teens kind of blind. I had only heard Still Afraid of Alston and didn't really know anyone in the band yet um, and was working on cruise ships at the time. So I say that that cruise ships made me hate music because <laughs> <laughs> I had so much fun and also was completely miserable. <laughs> and coming into Future Teens was such a stark contrast to playing Living on a Prayer every night. <laughs> not that stark, uh, though, right? Really? Yeah, not, I mean, not that stark. Yeah. Like, you know, that's the song we still play to the yeah to the yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's really it's really like the song upon which we uh, base all of our successes. So. <laughs> we did write it, after all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's it's been cool to um to come from that place into uh, a group of people who's like primary goals in songwriting are to like have a good time and make each other laugh along the way. Daniel has, we do a lot of like sitting together and like talking through stories that our song seeds are about and um, like pushing each other to find a like lighthearted twist on something gut wrenching um, or like find multiple perspectives around something. Um, and it's like such a thoughtful 
but light process and approach that has like really softened me as a person. Well, what kind of music were you doing before when you, as you said, were taking yourself more seriously than now? Similar. I had a uh, like a very ambitious and not good solo record when I was like 21. Um, no, there's some bangers on that. <laughs> thank you. I disappeared <laughs> it from the internet, but if you want to hear it, um, send me a DM and I'll, I, I guess. To, to paraphrase Luke Skywalker, nothing's really gone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, it would be awesome if it were, and yet I, I still get emails about it. Like, why did you do this? <laughs> but that record was like so much more... It was like songs I'd written between the age of 16 and 21. I was an entitled teenager. I was like not a super... I didn't have a ton of perspective outside myself and my small town and what I knew. And I, I like thought the universe owed me something. And, um, that record I think reflected that, but, uh, Daniel liked my guitar tone and that's (laughs) why we joined forces. So it all worked out. I I have to say the description you had of yourself as a teenager could describe almost every teenager in America. <laughs> Thank you. That is a much more gentle uh, take than I usually you said, yeah. give myself. I was a teenager, and so <laughs> I <laughs> thought the world revolved around me. <laughs> well, but I think that's kind of an important transition that I think a lot of successful artists go through is realizing the, you know, I'm ambitious. I think success is just going to come naturally all of that to kind of a point of breaking and then finally like, you know, realizing, okay, I'm going to do what I like because, you know, this is my life and I'm not going to try and live someone else's journey, all of that. I don't know how much of that applies to you and your story, but I think that there's a similar thread in there to what a lot of artists experience. For sure. That's something for me too, when I was working on music, honestly, up until Future Teens. And I think partly because it started as a joke and it started as a side project, I didn't have that same weight I put on it as like, this has to represent me fully and it has to be my personality through and through. It's like, no, this is a band I'm in that's fun and we have fun recording and we have fun playing. And it's not like, it doesn't need to be completely representative of me at all or uh, just me. You know, I wanted it to represent all the members of the band. Um, that was very freeing for me with Future Teens, where, whereas my previous bands, I was like, this is like, I was so precious about everything. I was like, this has to be like, the album's going to blow up and it needs to be perfect and we have to mix it four times and all this <laughs> dumb bullshit. <laughs> we still have um, to mix it four times. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, literally three different mix engineers have oh, mixed no. one album. Yeah. Never again. Okay, no, we don't have to do that, but we do have to um, send very esoteric notes to our mix engineer and hope that he can parse through them. Love mix revisions. (laughs) Well, maybe, Daniel, you can uh, share a little bit about your musical background. I know you kind of hinted at some of that there, but we would love to know the journey that you went through starting in music to get to future teens. Yeah, uh, I'll give a a brief brief rundown. So uh, my, my favorite starting out story is that um, I, w- I told my parents I wanted to play an instrument because trumpet gave me a headache. And literally, <laughs> like literally to play it gave me a headache. And, uh, and to hear me play it gave me a headache. Uh, and so they had heard that my friend Eric had gotten a guitar, so they got me a bass for Christmas, like an, you know, a starter bass. And I didn't want to play bass, but I was too 
uh, I didn't. I was. I felt bad telling them that, so I just took lessons for many, many years. Uh, and now I love that I started on bass, and that's my primary instrument. But so I played that all through high school. Studied jazz and classical composition in college, um, and then after college, I played in a band called The Novel Ideas, a folk band, and uh, that's one of the bands I took way too seriously uh, and and was too precious about. And then I was also playing in a band called Magic Man, uh, which is a band that I didn't take seriously. And I don't know, it wasn't my band. So I, I'm a, I consider myself a songwriter over anything else. So I wasn't really writing um, in a meaningful way in that band and I wanted to do that. So I, one thing I did miss about playing live with novel ideas is it was a very calculated show. Like everything had to be perfect every night. Otherwise we just feel terrible about our performance. Um, so I was basically having no fun on stage a lot, a lot of nights and with future teens, it's like we, the goal every night is catharsis. Like even if, it's not like even if it's just like one moment of one song, like we've talked about it. It's funny, like I think on our we were on or not last year now, but twenty nineteen end of the tour, we were talking about like what moments we feel most most cathartic in or during one of our shows, and like it turns out like we had a bunch of similar ones, similar overlapping ones, even though we'd never talked about it. So that that was kind of funny, but that so that goal is definitely we've succeeded in a lot of ways with that, which, um, which is a, a relief. That's awesome. And I loved in there that you kind of, again, touched on the journey that I think a lot of artists have where, you know, you get into music cause you love it. We all, you know, for some reason, as kids have something in our brain that was like, I want to do music. And then you get to a point where it's like, okay, I want to, you know, start a band or pursue music or whatever that vision is for you. And then you kind of start taking itself too seriously. You almost get focused too much on success or quote unquote, making it that you like forget that. Well, why did you do music in the first place? It was, you know, to have fun. You know, I, I think it's great that you've kind of come full circle to like a point where, you know, we're doing this just because we enjoy playing music live and we enjoy the energy and we enjoy writing songs. And it's, you know, kind of uh, more of a natural fit rather than like, well, I want to do music because, you know, I want X amount of money and X amount of fame. And, you know, I want this many streams. And it's like, no, you know, if people want to dig it as much as we're digging it, that's great. So I'm, I'm super happy for you on that. Tell us a little bit more about how this band kind of, you know, came together. I know you mentioned, you know, you were just kind of writing some songs just kind of, you know, as for fun or as jokes. But, you know, tell the tell the story of that transition between that kind of early stage to discovering, okay, this is going to be a band. We're actually going to release music. Yeah. I joined the band when future teens hadn't really played shows. Um, there had been a few, but it wasn't something that, uh, like it wasn't something Gabe really wanted to do. Um, so when I joined, it was like with the intent of playing more, but it still wasn't anyone's, uh, like, like none of us expected to, be touring the country like we are now it was <laughs> no. everything that's happening now is uh like dreams come true but like a benchmark that we didn't expect to have for ourselves at the time it was like 
yeah, I hope we get to play Great Scott, this like small venue in our town that uh, RIP, um, but hopefully we'll come back in an old pizza place one day. Um, <laughs> and the more we played together, the more it felt good to like to go from, well, we have these songs to let's record these songs. And there was an EP early on, um, like a few months after I joined the band. And then we said, fuck it, let's make it a full length. And um, like most of those songs were written before I joined the band, but we added a couple and um, realized like, oh, we also have this very special writing chemistry um, and played more shows. And I quit working on cruise ships and it just kind of, it just kind of snowballed um, starting around the time Take This to Heart Records took a chance on us and put out hard feelings. And all of a sudden we had the opportunity to play all these DIY shows and, um, you know, in basements in the Midwest, we met kids who knew every word to the record and were like, hey, um, can, should, should we do this more? <laughs> yeah, we literally booked our first tour and completely on Twitter, <laughs> like completely through, yeah, through people we... Like it would maybe be like someone's like, oh, if you you should check out this band, and I'd be like, oh, I'll check them out, and then I'd follow them, and they'd follow us, and then I'd be like, hey, we're coming through town. Like, do you know where the spots are? And they're like, we'll set up a show. And it was like two weeks that started in the Midwest because Daniel was finishing a novel ideas tour in Kansas City, so we booked the first show in Columbia, Missouri, um, my home state. So I was very excited. Uh, but the rest of the band and I made the stupid choice to like drive the whole thing in a day <laughs> <laughs> from Boston and did like two weeks in the Midwest and came home. It was very weird and special. So just kind of help me fill in some of the gaps there. You're, you're writing songs, you're playing random shows around town. You're getting a little bit of traction. How much of a following had you built up just from that before, you know, making the jump to doing this booking a tour on Twitter? We played, we've played more shows like in, um, say, let's say like October of 2019 than we had as a band ever when Hard Feelings came out. So if that, it was like mostly recording project when we were recording Hard Feelings. We'd played like, I remember the first show we played with Amy and I was, I was at Charlie's Kitchen in Boston and I was like, we should do this more. And Amy's like, cool, cool. I'm going to be away for a few months, but definitely when I get back, let's play some more shows. <laughs> it was so, it was tough. And I was touring with Novel Ideas and Dylan was, was I don't remember if he was still living in Boston. It was just like, we were all over the place. So it took a long time to get, to get everyone together. So we weren't playing as much as we wanted to. And then we, we finished Hard Feelings and I would, I was like, I'm really proud of this record. I think we made something cool. I want to send it to some labels. So I sent it to a bunch of labels, cold emails. Like I didn't, I don't know. I didn't know anyone in the scene at all because I was playing in a folk band and a pop band. And <laughs> that's just, they just don't overlap really. And uh, no one responded except Jamie Coletta responded and was like, I'll check this out. And then side one dummy folded and uh, Joe from Take This to Heart responded. And um, he responded as I was about to get on a plane and was like, hey, I really like this. Like, I know I was about to get on the plane. I was like, I'll send one more email, whatever. Sent it as I was on the plane, the plane had Wi-Fi. And I was like, uh, I'll connect to the Wi-Fi, it's free. And I checked it and he's like, hey, I follow you guys on Twitter. I'm checking this out now. And then he sent me an email like, 
as he listened to each song. He was like, oh, in Love or Whatever, this is a cool song. Oh, I really like Party Ethic. Oh, Learn Behavior is a banger, whatever. And he sent like multiple emails, which is very un-music industry business-like, right? right. And you're, I, you're lucky if you get like an email and then like when you, when you get the email, it's like two words. <laughs> <Yeah>. Just nah. <laughs> anyway, so he's just, Joe. Joe is just like a music lover. Like he loves music. He has this like, this childlike wonder about music that um, I think we definitely aspire to as people um, and try not to get jaded. And I feel like he's, he really jump-started us into being like, oh, like someone wants to put our record out? Like, okay, that's cool. And he, oh yeah, and he was like, he was like, are you guys planning on touring? And I was like, we could. <laughs> 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 like in the back of my head thinking like, we're not really going to tour that much. Like, are we? <laughs> like, I'm glad he asked. Yeah, so after that first tour, you're you're doing this tour, you're getting kind of, you know, th- this eye-opening experience of like, wow, this is uh, this is connecting with people. What then? We uh, we were like, wow, this was really sick. Should we do it again? <laughs> uh, I think for the rest of that year, we did a similar run of like 10 to 14 days every other month almost. I was still touring a lot at the time with the folk band. So it was kind of like, I would book a tour for future teens based on the novel ideas ended a tour and I knew we wouldn't want to have practice for at least a week or two because everyone was <laughs> sick of each other. So I was like, all right, I'm going to book a tour right then because it won't get in the way of anything. Basically, whatever we could afford to do, either monetarily or just time-wise, it, you know, we, we definitely, it was definitely scrappy at times, um, but we always made sure like that we were connecting with uh, people in whatever town we were playing in. Like, it wasn't just like, let's just book a bar to play a show, you know? Uh, obviously, we've played our, a few bar shows, but it was, even those were like, well, there's other cool bands playing, or like, this is just, like, we played, I remember a show in Connecticut, I won't say where, but <laughs> uh, we played this show in Connecticut, and uh, a friend of ours asked us to play, and we were like, this is a little random, but it's like Saturday in Connecticut, and we got there, and it ended up being this, like, banger of a show, because it turns out this is the bar that serves underage kids. <laughs> <laughs> so it was like packed and we were like but I didn't realize it till towards the end I'm like I don't think anyone here is 21 <laughs> or no. like <laughs> this kid that we'd seen just going behind the bar and grabbing bud lights came up to us and was like yeah I'm I'm 17 I'm going to this college next year and we're like you look 35 my guy <laughs> wow but yeah we weren't we were not picky about shows we just wanted to like if someone was excited about our music and asked us to play a show, we'd try to make it work. Well, it's it, it seems like house shows and small venues seem to be like a, in my experience, like a pretty good thing compared to, say, just a random bar where people are there to, you know, drink and you're just background noise. Um, it's because I think for bands, especially starting out, like, you know, your goal is to build connections with people. So that you have like, you know, your foundation of fans and the fans that feel like, oh, I'm early on enough that I'll, you know, do anything to kind of help you grow because there are genuine music lovers out there. 
I think, <laughs> you know, isn't that so funny that as musicians, maybe this is just me, but as musicians, we forget that there are people out there that just like live to consume music. We, yeah, we were lucky to have people in in our, I don't know if it's our scene or our fans or whatever, but we've ha- we have a lot of people reaching out to us to tell us like, this song touched me in some way or your album helped me get through a really hard time. And sometimes when you're a musician, you can feel like you're kind of in a void of like, is anyone liking this stuff? Like (laughs) I see the Spotify plays go up, but like, I don't know what that means. You know, if it's really connecting with people. And I think, I don't know if we're lucky or it's our scene or what, but every time someone reaches out and says something like that, it's just like, this is why it's cheesy, but it's like, this is why we do it. And or a, a big part of it is why we put the music out publicly is because we hope people will connect with it. And then when somebody tells you specifically, this helped me in some meaningful way, it's like, holy shit. Well, I think it's something magical that happens when you just kind of like lean into whatever you're feeling yourself. You naturally will attract and connect with some people. It may not be, you know, your close friends that have nine to five jobs, but sure, like, yeah. you know, there, there are people out there that, you know, if, if you're being genuine and you're writing genuine songs and good performances and, you know, you have an energy, like people are going to love that. That's the hope. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm like breaking down our need to like write big metaphors into songs and just be like, but what do you just, just what are you trying to say? Like, uh, Daniel, we were working on Born to Stay and Daniel looked at me and was like, I don't know. I just like, I don't want to be just like one more lonely, sad boy. I was like, then why don't you just say so? (laughs) You're like, that's the lyric. (laughs) That's a great, that's a great concept. (laughs) Yeah. I feel like that has like helped us like be able to have that kind of catharsis for ourselves and that that feeds into how we get to relate to other people. It's, um, feels really good to just like say what we mean, put it out into the universe and see what happens. Um, and it's has been especially nice in a year like uh, this one where, you know, we haven't gotten to do the things that we love most, but we still hear from people who are like, oh, you wrote this experience in a way that meant something to me. It's like, oh, my cool. Maybe my dreams aren't dead after all. I want to share a quote when we put out hard feelings and Dylan, our drummer at the time, who's an amazing tattoo artist, you should check, anyone should check him out at, is it Crime Boy? Dr. Dr. Crime Boy. Crime Boy. Yeah, he's an amazing tattoo artist. Anyway, he's, when we finished Hard Feelings, he said, I'm really excited to put this out, but I know that nobody will care about it for at least a year. <laughs> and, and I was like, I, in my head at the time, I was like, I mean, I hope he's wrong. And that's, and I, <laughs> but he was a hundred percent right. Like it didn't, and, and that's not to say no one cared about it for a year, but it didn't feel like anyone cared about it for a year. Like it felt like this isn't like, this isn't getting us to the places I want. And this isn't, you know what I mean? Like it never feels like it's making the impact you want it to. And that's normal. Uh, and that was a, a nice thing. I think about that all the time. It's like, Sometimes, especially a new band, um, that's our first record. It like it takes a little while for people to maybe you hear the name. Like for me, I need sometimes I need to hear a band name like five times until I'm like, all right, I'm gonna listen to them. You know, that's just the reality of I don't know the internet age or attention spans or whatever you want to call it. It was definitely a slow burn. Well, I think that's just kind of human nature and how 
marketing works, you know. I think a lot of young artists get discouraged because they put out a song and they post about it on Instagram and why doesn't everybody, you know, know about it and listen to it and, you know, love it now, <laughs> you know, right? When it takes a little bit of time for for it to kind of gain some momentum, both, you know, the music itself, but then also your project just in general. Right. That's something I say to people. It's like, if you put out a song and no one listens to it, they're not not listening to it because they hate you, even if that's what you feel like. They're not listening to it because they don't know you exist. It's mm. like, that's something I have to, re- <laughs> to remember. Um, you have fans out there that have never heard your music. Yeah. I love that. You have fans <laughs> out there that have never heard your music. That's such a good, I love that. Wow. That first year was just so much of like, we'd go to a place the first time and have a have like, you know, we'd have fun, but it'd be kind of a bummer because we want people to care. But we'd get back in the van and be like, I had fun. Yeah, that was a good time. But by the end of the year, we were going back to those same places and having a blast and seeing new people and having people be like, yeah, my friend like went to your show last time and told me about the record. And now here's me and my four closest friends who like absolutely love you guys. Um, I feel like we we owe most of what our like business it doesn't feel like a business, though I know it is, but never felt like it was on our shoulders to push the thing or attempt to take ourselves um, take ourselves that seriously. It was like, this is something we love to do and can't wait to go do it again. And we just kept seeing familiar faces and new faces every time. Um, really owe a lot to the people who connected enough to bring their friends the next time around. Well, I think that's a great thing that a lot of artists tend to forget, too, is it's not about getting 500,000 people to listen to your song or 500,000 people to come to your show or 500,000 people to like your Instagram. It's about getting one person or two people or three people at your shows to connect with you, and then it grows from there. You want to, like, nurture those fans. Because then they'll have your back. The real brand engagement. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think is. about like, I think about like our friends did a tour with Third Eye Blind, and uh, they they were already like doing pretty. This is the band Bad Bad Hats, and they were already doing pretty well at the time. Totally amazing band, and they're like totally they're killing it now. They're headlining, and we love them. But I remember they did this, got this tour off, and they're like, well, we have to tour Third Eye Blind, right? And the reality of the tour was like, people aren't there to discover new music. So it wasn't really a good environment to gain those kind of fans. I'm sure they still did because they're just that damn good. But, you know, giving your, putting yourself or giving yourself opportunities or seeking out opportunities where you have that chance to connect with someone like a house show where it's like maybe there's only 10 people there but you're not you're talking to them in like individually you're like engaging with them right there cuz it's like why not you know there's only 10 people here let's make this special and different and interesting i remember seeing kevin divine played at my college freshman year and only like 10 people showed up and he was and there was this whole big pa set up and he was like I'm not playing through this. Like, let's just like go sit on the carpet over here and we'll just talk and I'll play you guys some songs, acoustic. And it made it so much more special than like, you know, if he'd played through his set and engaged a little bit, but whatever, you know, or just got through the night. He like made it like, you know, something that's super memorable for everyone there. Mm. And that that definitely stuck with me. And I've had experiences like that with other bands. And so we, we try to do the same thing if we can. Well, and I guarantee those 10 people are going to remember that for the rest of their life. 
Absolutely. now that you know they've had this intimate thing they got to talk with the artist you know they'll they'll feel like they're friends if you remember their name or not but you yeah. know a lot of the time we do remember those people and like some of them have become pals it's really special and humanizing to have a stranger connect to something you've done or like believe in your band and it's really nice i think something we talk about as a band and like try to hold ourselves and each other to is like never taking a moment of what we get to do for granted including those small interactions we have with new people and they'll they'll have your back for forever now hopefully maybe yeah, not maybe with they'll, any luck you know. who knows <laughs> <laughs> would love to know if you have just any general advice for young up-and-coming artists the the thing that took me a very long time to learn is not to be precious about the music i write um even if i was writing a bunch of songs i would sit on them for a long time or make the recording uh, you know obsess over it try to get it perfect and and never put it out sometimes and you know you're you're definitely never going to connect with anyone if they if they can't hear the music so just getting it out there and letting sometimes sometimes i won't even write a new song until like if we're like working on mix notes and stuff i'll just be obsessive and then once it's done like i'll write like three songs but i couldn't write those songs until something was just done and released or whatever um so not being precious about things and just putting stuff on the internet even if you later feel like you want to take it down fine but just get it out there at least amy did you have any just kind of general advice for young artists I mean, the, the biggest thing is like what Daniel has already touched on. And um, beyond that, paying attention to what you value in community and um, like valuing the scene around you and like doing what you can to make those spaces cooler and better and what you dream that they would be. Like, what did you want to see in your hometown music scene when you were a kid? What did you want to see on stage that you weren't getting? Like what, what did the shows you saw as a kid make you yearn to be? That's stuff that I've tried to pull into future teens. Like I, I wanted to see people having a good time on stage and I wanted to be one of those people having a good time on stage. I wanted to see, um, non-men on stage and wanted to become one of them and change it for kids like me. Um, and I think like giving folks, like empowering the people around you to do the thing, to give it a try. And if you're someone who like, it's like, ah, but I'm 30 and I can't play guitar. Yeah, you can pick up a guitar. You can play guitar. Just, just try it. It's fine. Um, I like it. Yeah. Just give it a whirl. Like I was so bad, but we did it anyway. <laughs> I've often been filled with uh, like fear and imposter syndrome around making music and engaging with, um, my scene as like a deeply anxious person um, and finding people who make me feel powerful and comfortable in pursuing this has been everything. And I, Yeah, I want to add on to that. In, in terms of future teens, when we started, I feel like we were feeling, or at least I was feeling like, oh, there's this cool scene in Boston, New York, and I really want to be part of it. Like, I really want this band to like have friends like and be part of the scene but it's hard breaking into a, a music scene. And so I, and we kind of decided like, okay, it's really hard to do that. So let's just like have our own and let's find bands that aren't really in this scene and that we really like and let's play shows with them and, and just see what happens. And that 
that was so much fun. And and eventually we did meet these people that like, we, like, you know, I remember like think, seeing Animal Flag, like this band from Boston being like, oh, it'd be so cool to play with them and like know those people. And now we, you know, we, I don't even know if, do we get, we've, we've played shows with members of Animal Flag. Yeah. I don't know if we played because they broke up, but um, just like booking our own shows with bands we liked rather than waiting for someone to ask us. Um, and making con- friends with other bands, like actual connections rather than like just wanting to play for a bigger audience that just yeah. felt better. It was like very intentionally never transactional. I think that's exactly. like a, a an unfortunately present and looming um, attitude is like, well, that's the industry. Like I booked you a show, now you have to book me one. But instead we found people and friends and communities that were just like, hell yeah, we believe in this. Let's go. Can I ask actually a little bit about how do you guys walk that line of knowing we don't want this to be just a transactional thing, but also like, you know, the reality is if you're going to pursue music, it is a business. (laughs) I feel like we've been lucky in that we kind of fell into a team of people that do some of the heavy lifting on administrative stuff for us. But a lot of it is just is like asking ourselves and each other very honestly, like, is this opportunity something that we want and are excited about? Or do we feel like it's the only thing? Do we feel like we have to do it because nothing else will come? And that has been a really important conversation to have where we get to keep the spirit of we're doing this because we love it, not for any other reason. Because there have been times when we something comes our way and we're like, dude, I don't have the bandwidth or like, I can't miss that much work or this doesn't look like it's going to be healthy for us. And then we get to make that choice. We get to say no, we get to say yes to what we're thrilled about. Do you, is there much like structure in what you guys do in terms of write this much songs or, you know, we have like legal structure or whatever is, you know, is it just pretty, pretty organic for you guys? I think it's been a, like we crossed we cross the bridge when we get to it typically. Um, like we weren't an LLC until our managers like, listen, if you book a show at a house, a house show and someone slips and hits their head and they sue you, then you're all going to be individually sued and that's bad. So you should be an LLC. And we were like, cool. Yeah. Like now that we're playing, like we play, have played house shows with like, 60 people packed into a sweaty room. It's like, yeah, there's some danger element to it. And we want to be, we, we try to make it as safe as we can, but at the end of the day, it's a bunch of people in a room. So you have don't have total control. But yeah, I think crossing the bridges when you get to them and asking, if you don't know the answer to something, like just ask someone. Just, you know, ask someone who does and don't be afraid to to not know everything, you know, because you no one does and everyone's kind of just figuring it out. And some people are just farther along their path and some people don't want to help you. I, I'm sure everyone in the music, in music industry has encountered people who aren't interested in helping other people and that's fine. They can do their thing. That's not someone I want to be friends with, but um, there are so many people who do and who want to help and want to answer questions and and finding those people can be challenging, but when you do, just you know, build a, a real relationship with them and and ask how they're doing too. You know what I mean? It's like even if some you meet someone, you know, and they're like you see them like wow, this is a famous person. It's like they have feelings and they have <laughs> wants and stresses, and it's all the same. You know, 
I think in in terms of how we treat each other, uh, like as business partners, we've always had this really beautiful baseline of like being kind and humanizing each other and treating each other with like respect and equity. So it's this very, we're all on even footing and everyone has like an equal say. Um, But there's also an element of meeting one another where we are and like what we have space for, what we have time for, and also what we can afford. I remember Daniel calling me um, early on in us doing a lot of touring and checking in with me about how I felt about like, you know, what if we need to trim this routing a little bit so this other member of the band can get back to work? Like, here are the things that I'm stressed about. And we agreed that like we all need to be heard and met somewhere. Like, I think I think something Daniel said was like, I would love this to be a socialist band. Yeah, uh, yeah. I think I think it's when yeah, one of our members was like, I need more money from this tour if I'm gonna go on the tour. Yeah. And just just to live. And we were all and we're like, all right, is everyone cool taking less and this person takes more? And it's like, hell yeah, that's fine. Like, you know what I mean? It's not it's not like we we want the band to exist over like an extra fifty bucks or whatever. You know what I mean? It's not at this point, it's not big money, but it's like the goal of the band is sustainability. And if one member can't make their rent, that's not sustainable, you know? So um, they're they're not going to want to continue touring. And it, it feels like the bare minimum to me to like hear that need and be like, yeah, dude, I want you to be happy on this tour. I want you to be able to come on this tour. Like this four people in Future Teens are like, they're like the people that were meant to be Future Teens and the people that I want to do this with for as long as we can possibly be in this band together. And if there's any way that we can like meet each other's needs financially, emotionally, whatever to like make it possible and sustainable for all of us to do this together and be the little family and business that we dream of being like, hell yeah. sounds like you guys got all each other's backs. So that's great. Give us just a teaser of what is next for future teens. Well, shows, hopefully. Um, I think that if stress streams, show stress streams count as practice, then I'm going to be like ready to go because <laughs> I still have so many show-related stress streams. Same. Like, like I had one where we were, we were on stage and it's like, all right, start the show. And Amy's like, I got to go eat a sandwich. <laughs> and I was like, no, you can't. And then the show started and I was like, Amy's eating a sandwich. I think like we'll be on soon. <laughs> A real thing that used to happen when uh, our old drummer Dylan was in the band is um, whenever we'd play uh, DTFL, which is like, it's just like very soft, no drums. Or as you would would say, boring. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Dylan has never listened to any future teens recording that didn't have him on drums, which is not true, but we joke at him about it. I remember we had when we showed him the demos from Hard Feelings or from Breakup Season, the only songs he mentioned to us were the demos he had played on <laughs> yeah he's like oh yeah sounds good <laughs> yeah um when we played dtfl he would always leave stage to pee oh, like every night <laughs> and <laughs> i never knew because i had my back turned to him and then find out later on that everyone would be stressed he wouldn't get back in time <laughs> <laughs> i i have had panics about going on stage and wondering if my blood sugar is going to last for the yeah. entire set. Yep. So, Got to get that sandwich. Which is which is why I was like, <laughs> wait, did that actually happen? Because that sounds way too familiar. 
Well, anyway, Amy and Daniel, thanks so much for uh, coming on, talking with us. Had a super great time just kind of getting to know your story a little bit. Thanks for the... I don't, the I, a lot of these questions are ones we've never answered before, I think. So I was yeah. oh, excited. Good. This was a lot of fun. Thanks for having us. Go and check out Future Teens. Where can people connect with you? Pure Volume, MySpace. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know, that would be on brand for, you know, the band to be I, on MySpace. I tried to make our first... EP on pure volume only, but then I realized that it does not exist as a website anymore. I'm pretty sure. So yeah, it's or I at tried least to not find something form. from middle school recently <laughs> using pure volume and it, it did not exist. <laughs> Rude. <laughs> oh, good stuff. Uh, but all, in all seriousness, thanks so much for coming on today, guys. Thanks for having us. So that's it for my conversation today with Amy and Daniel from the band Future Teens. Go check them out on MySpace, Pure Volume, Floppy Disk, all of that stuff. Wanted just to say real quick, if you have appreciated this show and you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please go ahead and just give us a five-star review. Helps us rank higher and more people find this show. Also, if you are working on new music and want to know how to plan your next song for the best results possible, go sign up for our free half-hour workshop called Rock the Release evergreenrecords.com slash workshop. But for now, that's it, and we'll see you next time.